Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. We're going to end this year and begin next year uh, by spending seven weeks looking at the book of Revelation. Now, there's a joke among pastors that I'll let you in on that the Sunday after Christmas should be referred to as National Make the Youth Minister Preach Preach Day. And some of you might be thinking right now that letting Isaac up here and letting him preach would have been a lot safer than trying to crack open a uh, sermon series on the book of Revelation. I mean, Revelation's got dragons and weird numbers and theories, and if you are willing to look, an endless rabbit hole of YouTube videos trying to help you make sense of everything that's going on, some of them helpful, some of them not. You might be thinking, we just got done with Christmas. Yesterday was opening presents and eating candy and food and everything else. We're still riding the high from that. Why do we, why do we got to bite this off as well? And you might be right. I don't know. We'll see. You might have hesitations, not about this sermon series, but just about this book in general. I mean, it's confusing. It's hard to understand. It, it, it might be easier just to avoid it altogether. And if that's what you're feeling this morning, know that you're not alone. There have been seasons of my life where I would put myself in that same boat. There's hesitations, maybe even fear of what, what this book might, might um, have for us. This book can be confusing. It might seem like turning there at all in your Bible is just asking for trouble. But if we're reading this book well, what we will find as we read it is not a map of the future, not a, not a puzzle that we have to unlock and, and find parallels in our own day, but what we will find is an invitation into a deeper life with God. Now, when we open up this book, given how it can be preached and portrayed at times in our culture, we might expect that anywhere we start reading, we're going to find curses. Curses on people who who are opposed to God. Curses on this person and that person. Curses falling down out of heaven. But what we find when we actually start reading this book is instead blessings. Blessings. Seven different times in the book of Revelation, the text gives us a blessing on a specific group of people. And so what we're going to do over the course of this sermon series is not uh, unpack every single verse of the book of Revelation necessarily, but what we're going to do is look at those seven places in the book of Revelation where a blessing is pronounced and see who it is pronounced over and what that means for us as we live today as God's people. And we are blessed as a congregation to have a number of people who are a part of our church who uh, either have been or are currently serving in ministry in various capacities, people who are smarter and wiser than me, you all should be grateful for that on a regular basis if you're not already. And one of those people is joining me here um, on stage today is Fred Hansen. In case you haven't met Fred or don't know, uh, Fred is a professor of uh, the Bible, teaches scripture to students all over the world who are uh, training for ministry, and I'm honored to say that we as a congregation um, play a small part in supporting Fred um, in the ministry that he has. I'm honored to say that Fred's a friend, at least I think we're friends, okay? That's all we needed to accomplish today. And uh, I'm honored to say that he and his family are here and, and are a part of, of uh, this congregation. 
And Fred wrote his uh, doctoral dissertation. You can interrupt me if I ever misspeak or reading your resume or anything. But um, uh, Fred did his doctoral work on the book of Revelation. And so as we enter into this series starting today, we wanted to uh, take the opportunity to learn from someone who has spent a lot of time studying and preaching and teaching this book so that we might be well equipped as a, as a church um, as we enter into this series. And so before, uh, here in a few moments, I'll read the, the passage that is our text for this morning. But before we do that, uh, I want to give Fred a chance to tell us the significance about this word blessing in Scripture. Uh, not just in the book of Revelation, but we find this word blessed across the story of Scripture. And so, uh, Fred, what do we need to know about how that word is used in Scripture and how can that help us as we enter into this series? Thanks, Marty. Uh, you're right, by the way. We, we are friends, especially after you acknowledge the Vikings are the, the best football team in the NFL. I don't remember acknowledging that. <laughs> Sometimes communication can be difficult. So, blessing. Context as it's used here in Revelation chapter 1 uh, really comes out of the Old Testament, particularly the book of Exodus and the book of Deuteronomy. It's a word that is used uh, in the context of covenant, that is, a special relationship that people have with God. When the people of Israel entered into a covenant relationship with God, he said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And he gave them the Ten Commandments and the law. You will follow my law, obey my commandments, I will bless you. If you disobey my law and you do not follow me or you worship idols and dead gods that you've made with your own hands, I will curse And that's how we translate it, at least into English. And I think it would be better for us to understand that the ancient Near Eastern cultures were shame and honor cultures. So what God was saying to Israel is, if you follow me and worship me, I will honor you with, you know, esteem and material blessings for sure. But God would look upon the people with favor. And if they didn't follow him, he would curse them. That is, he would look upon them with disdain and they would not receive his favor or his blessings. And so in the New Testament, in the new covenant we have in Christ, whenever you see that word blessing, like in Matthew chapter 5, those are not beatitudes when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, honored are the poor in spirit in the sight of God, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. That's really helpful. If the goal of our relationship with God is that we might experience his blessing within the context of this new covenant, then as God's people, uh, we want to do whatever we can to ensure that we experience that blessing for ourselves. Um, as we open up the book of Revelation from that perspective, uh, we don't, or the goal of this series, the goal of reading this book at any time, isn't to become experts of, or people who can predict the future or anything like that necessarily. But the goal is to become people who experience the blessing that comes from life with God. The goal of this book, like every other book of the Bible, is to call us into that deeper relationship. And so that's my encouragement as we enter into this series. And so with that in mind, I want to read the passage of Scripture that is our text for today. The first three verses of the book of Revelation. The words will be up on the screen. The revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. 
He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And here's the blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and obey. In other words, blessed are people like us. We're blessed when we open up the words of this book, when we read its words, when we internalize them for the sake of our walk with God. And yet at the same time, what that means is not just a matter of reading the words on the page in the sense that we can sound the words out and and form sentences and understand what is being said. The text is calling us to something more. We don't want to just read this book. We want to read it well so that we can read what it has to say to us. And because... And the reason why I want to make that a priority is because when we do not do that, we find ourselves in all sorts of trouble. If I can, I'll try to demonstrate what I want to hopefully avoid over the course of this series. I brought a book with me this morning called Dragons, John, and Every Grain of Sand. It's a book that is a collection of essays on the book of Revelation. You can buy it, I assume, at any place where good books are sold. I haven't looked recently, but I would assume so. Or if you just want to borrow my copy... um, You could maybe talk me out of it. But if I uh, were to open up this book and start reading, I would find all sorts of things in here. But let's say, hypothetically, I was having a rough day and I didn't really know where to turn. And so I just pulled this book off my shelf and I just flipped it open and I turned to page 59, which is the start of a new chapter. And it is called The Hymns of Revelation, Theological Refrains in the Apocalypse, written by someone named Fred Hansen. Let's, let's just say hypothetically. I don't know this person. I just start reading. And I, I keep reading, and I get to page. What did, I, what, would, what did I find really inspirational when I was looking at this the last time? Let's see. I got to page 65, just hypothetically. And I started reading, and I got it down to the second paragraph on this page, and I read uh, that John's hymns in Revelation 4.11 demonstrates the church's belief that God alone exists and is worthy of such a claim. He, John, carefully records these adjectives, participles, and other grammatical forms that express the reality, work, and supremacy of God. And let's say I'm, I'm sitting alone, I'm reading this, and I get, past, I get through that sentence, and, and there's a lot of words in there, adjectives, participles, other grammatical forms that sound like things that I learned in English class when I was in high school. And I read that, and I, I thought about that for a second, and then I said, you know, I really liked my high school English teacher. They always believed in me. They were always really um, encouraging and, and we're just really great, and that brightened up my mood that day. And then let's say a couple days pass, and I run into, run into Fred somewhere, and I say, hey, Fred, I just want you to know, I was reading something you wrote the other day, and it made me think of my high school English teacher, and it just really encouraged me. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Fred, let's say hypothetically, what would the author of this say, do you think? You missed the point. <laughs> He'd beat around the bush, did he? Much as I love your English teacher. <laughs> The supremacy of God in Christ is more important. Fred's exactly right. Uh, The supremacy of God is more important than my high school English teacher, no matter how great they were. And if I am reading these words that Fred wrote in that chapter, and my takeaway from that is to have some warm, fuzzy feelings about my high school English teacher, I've missed the point entirely. 
And yet, we would never do that reading a book where, that has a human author. And yet, we can often get ourselves in trouble and maybe not do the exact same thing, but do something very similar when we open up the Word of God. We, we don't have the right or the authority to open up Scripture and be able to impose onto it what we think it means. We, we don't get to open up God's Word and have our own biases, biases already in our mind and just open it up and look for confirmation of what we already believe. If, we, if Scripture is what we believe that it is, God's Word to us, we don't get to set the terms. We don't get to come to it and just find whatever, whatever we think is encouraging or helpful out of it that may or may not actually be in the text. Our goal should always be to open up God's word and see what God himself has communicated through it so that we might be formed by the author of scripture as opposed to trying to form scripture into our own image. We believe that God is a God who speaks and therefore we want to listen well when we open up scripture. And that is the heartbeat behind what we're doing this morning. It's the heartbeat behind the series. My hope is it's the heartbeat behind every sermon that has ever preached on this stage. That we would open up God's word and listen to it well. And so if we're going to do that, especially for this series, given um, the blessing that is in the text that we have read this morning, we want to spend the rest of our time this morning uh, kind of picking Fred's brain a little bit so that he can help us experience what this text says, that we can experience the blessing of reading the words of this, of this book and hearing and obeying so that we can experience life with God. So, Fred, we've just read Revelation 1, 1 to 3. Um, what within those verses do you think is helpful for us to know about that passage? Well, I think there are a couple of things by way of background as we come into this verse 3 that we've got to keep in mind. Uh, when John says, blessed or honored are those who read aloud the words of this book and those who hear it, it's important for us to keep in mind that all of Scripture was first written for the ear, not the eye. It was always uh, given, the Word of God was always spoken first, written second. And that's, that's important for us to recognize because much of the ancient world was illiterate. There are a lot of studies and books that have been written about this. And if 95% of the ancient world can't read, then how are they going to encounter the Word of God? Someone has to read it to them or speak it out loud to them. And in the Old Covenant, God said to Moses, you must read the words of this law out loud in the presence of all the people at least once a year because most of the people wouldn't have been able to read it for themselves. And the same would be true for the book of Revelation. Most of the people that will encounter this book when it was written would not have been able to read or to write. And so it became imperative upon those who could read and write, particularly apostles who we, uh, not sure how, but sometime as they were following after our Lord, learned to both read and write. It was important for them to read aloud the words that had been written down so that everybody could uh, the second thing to keep in mind is he says, blessed are those who read aloud and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And this is a, a very important aspect of reading the book of Revelation because here is where many mistakes get made. People misunderstand that word prophecy and they always think it's about future prediction. You know, we read about Nostradamus and all these other people and we think that when someone makes a prophecy, they're, they're telling us about the future. 
That's not the definition of prophecy in the Bible. Biblical prophecy is calling people to obedience in God, and primarily what I mean by that is it calls people to repent. Prophets don't show up when everything is going well. Prophets show up when people are disobeying God, and God says, you need to come back. So when we read the book of Revelation, it's important for us to grasp that we are being called to repent. That's what prophecies are about. The churches in this book are being called to repent and follow God. And that's why he says also that we are supposed to obey. If this is just some crazy roadmap to the future about how the United States is going to have a battle with China, totally false. You'll never read any of that garbage in the book of Revelation. It's just on the Internet. But you, you can't obey those kind of weird stories that people tell. What you're called to obey are the commands of Jesus to follow after God and, and love Him. And you'll discover, based on our relationship, because you said we are being called into a deeper relationship with God, people who don't have love in their hearts rarely repent. Don't repent of wrongdoing in their human relationships because they don't love the people they're in a relationship enough to say, I messed up, I'm sorry, forgive me. And often, when we don't really love God our Father, we're, we're not that inclined to repent either and say, God, I, am, I have failed you. I'm sorry. And so, yes, it's a prophecy that's calling us to repent, but at the heart of that, it's calling us to acknowledge his love for us, and that we need to love him back as well. Does that make sense? To me, at least. I don't well, know. They I don't just, all have microphones. Okay. Well, <laughs> but, you know, if I'm I, not making sense, ask me to clarify. I mean, I, I, I think you're making sense, at least. So, um, But that is really, really helpful, um, that these are um, words calling us to God. And in some ways, that makes this book more difficult, because it's not... Um, something that we can do to try to figure out things about other people. It's things dealing with yeah, us. Right. And we have, to, um, we have to wrestle with that reality. And I have in my notes here that someone else, maybe Fred, wrote that 12 different times in this book we are called to repent. And, and that can be a heavy thing. Um, but it, on the other side of that is not uh, shame or guilt or anything like that, like you can see on the screen right there or right now, um, on the other side of that is, is God's blessing. And so we want to enter into that. So that's helpful for us getting our arms around how this book begins and kind of lays some framework for us going forward as we move beyond just these first three verses, Fred, into these, the six other blessings in this book and, and taking the book as a whole. Um, how can we, as we've already said, do what this text says and read and hear and obey this text yeah. well? So... In, in my mind, if you have your Bibles open or you're, you're following along on a phone, the most important verses for understanding the entire book of Revelation are Revelation chapter 1, verses 5b through 8. So it's the second half of verse 5. And there John begins to express glory and praise to God. And he says, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve. Father, forever. It starts there. And then down in verse 8, God says to John, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the one who is and was and who is to come. And 
from beginning to end of those three verses, everything in there is absolutely critical for reading the rest of the book. You have to kind of draw an arc line from those verses to every passage in Revelation. And it's really important to start with those words in my mind, I am the Alpha and the Omega. All of Christian history, you'll see the Alpha and the Omega in churches, in our symbols. And that's a metaphor that God uses to say, I am the only God. Throughout all of history, there have been competing religions and competing gods who have tried to claim the supreme place that God has over his creation. And God throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, has said, there is only one God and one living God, and that is me, and I am the one worthy of worship. And when he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, he is essentially saying, I'm the only one. It's not the gods of Egypt, the gods of Rome, the gods of Greece, it's me. So when you read this book, you will notice that all of the people described in Revelation are divided into two categories. Those who worship the one and only God and those who don't. If you want to read this well, you'll note that those who worship God are honored in His sight and that is the greatest existence they can have. And those who do not worship God, but they worship demons and they worship idols and they worship Satan and his minions, those people will be cursed or shamed in the presence of God. So everything you read is all about how we worship God and how others do not and the, the logical consequences that come from that. And then secondly, I would say you have to read this for Jesus. The book of Revelation is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the most overlooked thing in the, the whole book. People on the Internet are always trying to, you know, as Monty keeps saying, they're coming up with these roadmaps to the future. There's not a book of the New Testament that hasn't been written to teach us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And verse 5 says, I am giving praise, glory, to the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests. That's Jesus. Every verse you read in this book is about how he loves us, his church, and he has freed us from our sins by his blood. That is, we've been set free from the penalty to death because Jesus has purchased us with his blood, and he's made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve God. That's exactly what we read in John's gospel, Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel. This is... The gospel of Jesus Christ just in these fantastic stories and images. That's really helpful. And, if, and jumping off of that, if I can play devil's advocate a little bit, I'm going to clarify for you and for Fred as well. I don't actually believe this. I'm just, I'm just throwing a question out there for him to bat around a little bit. So you said in there some of the key things in the book of Revelation. Don't worship other gods. Yeah. God, God is the one true God. Worship him and him alone. If you don't worship him, you're in trouble. That's my rough paraphrase of what you were saying. You said that uh, the, the book of Revelation unpacks for us the message of the gospel. You just said that it's the same message we find in Matthew, we find in, the, in Mark, and in Luke, and John. We find it in the gospels. It's the same message being presented to us. So let's say I'm hearing all that and I'm tracking with you and I'm thinking, okay, maybe Revelation doesn't sound quite as intimidating as I thought it did before. Um, but if it's so much like everything else we see in Scripture, then what's the point? If, 
if I can, I can get the message that worship God and God alone, that's in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Um, if, if I can get that there, I can get the message of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and those are all a lot more simple. They're stories. They're God speaking directly. They don't have all the symbolism and the numbers and the, the stuff falling out of heaven and all that stuff going on, the symbolism, the metaphors, all of those things going on. The, the stories about Jesus, the parables he tells, the miracles he does, it's all more, way more straightforward and a lot less intimidating, a lot more simple. So, uh, again, I don't actually believe this, but <laughs> so why do we need the book of Revelation then? If, if everything that's in here can be found elsewhere in scripture in a way that's maybe a little less intimidating. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I'll answer that a couple of ways. First, uh, my mentor, Dr. Robert Lowry, always used to tell me that repetition is the mother of wisdom. It reminds me of that old hymn, you know, tell me the old, old story. I want to hear it over and over again. So it's never a bad thing to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ repeated. But Revelation is unique in that it tells the story a different way. I guess if I'll, I'll, I'll start there. So I said earlier, it's written for the ear, not the eye. And I could tell my kids, and I have told my children from the time they were young, and I, this wasn't in the manuscript, so you'll have to forgive me. I, Monty asked, asked me to say a few things, so I'm going off script. When my kids were young, and whenever we would come to the Christmas season, I would tell them the thing I hate about going to see Christmas plays is there's always one very important character missing, and that's the dragon. Because you read in Revelation chapter 12 that John has this great sign of a, a seven-headed red dragon in heaven who is chasing after this woman who is pregnant and about to give birth to a child, Jesus, and the dragon is trying to consume the child and stop the plan of God. And so under our Christmas tree, we have a manger scene, and from the time they were little, I purchased a small red ugly dragon and put it right on top of the, the manger. And my kids would crawl up to it, and they would play with that little dragon, you know, and Jesus, baby Jesus. And sometimes they'd put, like, Dora the Explorer in there, the manger, too. Was it, this was, like, this past Christmas? No, they no, were no, do- no. Oh, not, okay. Not this past Christmas. They're, they're past the Dora, the Dora part. So. I didn't know. <laughs> but it was always a reminder to them that the dragon was always at work from Genesis chapter 3, that ancient serpent, when God said, one of the offspring of Eve is going to crush your head, and you're going to strike his heel. From Genesis 3 all the way to the New Testament, Satan has been trying to stop the work of God. And in chapter 12, we read, he can't do that. He can't even defeat Michael. He's thrown down. Now, I could just tell you that, or I could tell you a story about this incredible dragon who's trying to eat baby Jesus. (laughs) That's memorable. When you're telling the story of Jesus, it's memorable. And that's why Revelation's stories are so fantastic. Because some of us need to hear it told in a way that we will remember it. And, and it's exciting and it's, it's captivating. But I think another reason is Revelation is calling us to repent. When Jesus speaks to the seven churches, he says to every one of them, yes, you have this good thing going for you, but there's something about your church where you have strayed away from me. You have not worshipped me the way I have asked of you. You have not followed me in full faithfulness. And therefore, you need to repent. And Revelation 
perhaps more than the gospel. I mean, Jesus comes in Matthew, first sermon, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He's just repeating that sermon to these churches, and we need to hear that call again and again and again. For every time Jesus calls unbelievers to repent in the New Testament, he calls believers to repent seven times because we need to hear it. We're supposed to know better, and we often act like we And so part of the reason we need to hear this book is so that we as a church at Marion can say, how do we need to come back to God and repent so that we can receive honor in his sight? Because that's what we want. We want to be honored in his sight. And we want to bring honor to his name by our actions. We can only do that through uh, a constant assessment of our own life and of our congregation's life and say, how do I need to be worshiping and following the Lord in a way that brings honor to him and honor to me and, and to us as a church? Does that... Uh, yeah, that's helpful. Headed? And as you were talking, we're still off script, so I, we're good on time, but... I, but just as a disclaimer. Um, but as you were talking, I was thinking, um, I'm right now reading a fiction book. And I actually went back and looked, and it's the first fiction book I've read in 2021, which says a lot more about how exciting my life is than it should. But um, as I've been reading, I've been struck by how it's engaging a different part of my brain yeah. than re- reading fiction as opposed to nonfiction just does something different um, to us. And it, at least what I'm hearing, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, uh, opening revelation is is doing something similar in that it's engaging a different part of us and how we think about Scripture and through the, the word pictures and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Some people are actually, you know, very artistic and very creative. I'm not. But, for instance, you read Revelation, and it will say that there's this incense that is, the smoke of it is going up before God, and that incense is the prayer of the saints. And it's, it just engages a part of, experiential part of our brain when we see there's incense that represents our prayers. And there are all these trumpets and there's music. And um, you see all these bright colors, white robes. All of these things represent aspects of our worship of God. And they're presented in very creative ways. And it does. It unlocks that, that experiential side of our worship and that experiential side of the creativity that God has placed within us rather than just having somebody try to drone on about a text. It's, it's really powerful. It's, it's creative writing and experiential worship. That is really helpful. Uh, I'm going to start to try to land the plane. Is there any uh, f- closing thoughts, anything we've missed that, uh, that you want to hit on before, before we try to wrap up a little bit? I, I would say that just, just by way of... If we, we read this book... And we fail to grasp that it's the gospel. And it is calling us to, to worship God. We're going to miss the point. And as we said before, every, every group in Revelation is divided into the categories of those who worship and those who do not worship God. And that means they'll be divided into the categories of those who will be blessed, that is, those who will be honored, and those who will be cursed, that is, those who will be shamed. And it's interesting because we open the with chapter 1, verse 3, which is a blessing. But Revelation actually closes with a curse. It, it's got two bookends. You're blessed, you read this and obey it. But at the end of Revelation, it will tell us you'll be cursed or shamed if you change anything about this book and don't follow it. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, a call here that we have to bear in mind. 
we are being called to worship the one and only God who has redeemed us from unrighteousness through Jesus. Don't get caught up in the crazy images. They're, they're wonderful, but they're all intended to give us that very simple truth. And what Revelation does more uniquely than any other book is it shows us at the very end the extraordinary blessing of God in the new heaven and the new earth where we get to be with Him for all eternity if we worship Him. But it also shows us the tremendous tragedy, the, the, the lake of burning sulfur, those who are cast into it because God is honoring their choice, rebelling against Him. And He says, I'll give you the eternal destruction that you've asked for because you have done everything in your power to destroy yourselves and your societies and therefore I'll give you what you ask for. And I think Revelation is calling us to repent and worship because God wants us to have that tremendous blessing of the new heaven and the new earth and all eternity. And that's a good way to end, looking for that eternal honor that will be ours in Christ Jesus. There's a whole lot in what uh, Fred just said that I think is worth emphasizing um, that we could talk about. Um, but the one piece of that, the common thread through it all, if you're listening, that I think is worth emphasizing as we close is that reading Revelation well draws us into deeper worship. As you can probably figure out, you're smart enough to figure out on your own by just looking at the title of this book. Within that word, Revelation, is the word reveal. The goal of this book is to reveal Jesus to us more clearly. Not to present theories to us about the end of the world, but to give us a clearer picture of Jesus so that we might worship him more deeply. That's our hope over the course of this series, uh, that you experience the blessing, the honor, like Fred has shared with us this morning, that John pronounces at the beginning of this book, and that through, that, through, through reading this book well, through doing some of the things that we've talked about this morning, we might be able to worship God more deeply. Because that is what is waiting for us when we engage uh, this book well. Fred, thank you for being here this morning, for being a part of our church. Um, let me pray for us, and then our worship team will come forward, and we will do just what we set out to do when we open up this book and continue in our worship of our God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Although it is at times confusing and unsettling, whether it's unsettling because we don't understand it or because it, it um, calls us to change and repent. Um, Father, we still thank you for your word. And Father, over the course of the next few weeks, as we open up this last book of your scriptures specifically, we ask that you would be with us. Give us wisdom and guidance so that we could approach your text well so that we might hear what you are saying to us as your people in this place and time where you have placed us. Give us ears to hear. Help us to draw near to you as we enter into this series, as we enter into this new year, so that we might be drawn into a deeper and deeper worship of you. No matter where we are right now, Father, help us to draw closer to life with you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who has come who's died and risen, so that we might have that hope of eternal life with you that awaits us at the end of this book. 
It's in his name that I pray. Amen. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.